Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. So the passage we experienced together, it's an interesting one because the question has to be asked, why was this passage even in the book of John? Because in some Bibles, some don't have it, but some do, this section is bracketed off. And the reason with the little star or however footnote it is, it says that some manuscripts, the most ancient of manuscripts of John, which is just copies of the book, most ancient don't have that passage in it at all. And then there's some manuscripts who have the passage somewhere else in the book of John. And then there's some that have the passage in the Gospel of Luke and not in John at all. Um, So it's interesting that this passage clearly wasn't in the original writings, the original copies that John has written. So the question has to be asked, why is it in the book at all? Some would say that means we probably just shouldn't read it or take much from it. Um, But to me, I think you could also ask the question that Clearly someone or multiple someones thought that this passage, this story, was so important that it had to be in there. That they had to put it in there, whether it was here in John, elsewhere in John, or in Luke. But the story is so important, it's telling a narrative that is so important that it needs to be in there somewhere. So the question before us today is, what is that something? What is, what's so important about it that it needs to be in there? There's an ancient parable, a proverb of sorts, that was seems to be written in the first century BCE, and um, it came from the Indian subcontinent, and its initial writing seemed to come from the Buddhist tradition, but I think that it really speaks to our text today. And it's the parable of the blind men and the elephant, and it goes something like this. There's a humble, quiet, uneventful village where really nothing ever happened. Nothing spectacular, nothing interesting. But word had gotten around that someone was going to be traveling with an elephant past their village in the next couple of days. That they were going further north, but they would be passing by. So of course, with nothing going on, this elephant was the talk of the town. It reached far and wide, and it got to this group of blind men that lived together, and for some reason they took a special interest in wanting to see this animal. So they decided that they, for them to be able to understand it, they couldn't just hear stories, but they wanted to go experience it for themselves. They wanted to be able to touch and inspect the elephants. So that's what they did. They get to where the elephant is, and the first blind man reaches out his hand and touches the side of the elephant, and he says, hmm, elephants are like walls, smooth and large. Then the second elephant, who was standing in front of it, 
put out his hand, touched the trunk, wrapped his arms around it, and said, this elephant's kind of like a, like a snake, a very big snake. And the third blind man, who was behind the elephant, reached out and touched the tail. And he said, no, an, an elephant is it's more like a rope, a rope with something on the end. Then the fourth blind man reached out his hand and touched the tusk, immediately pulling back. He said, ow! An elephant is like a spear. It's sharp and it hurts. And an argument ensued, each blind man holding to their own, not inviting the others into the conversation, not budging at all. I mean, can you blame them? They experienced the elephant for themselves. So why would they be wrong? It's easy to see from our perspective, and obviously it's just a story, um, but it's easy to see that they could have just simply like moved where they were and gone and touched where the other guy was. Um, but it's also easy to see that they held to these views that were wrong, or maybe a better way to say it is that they didn't have the full picture. They were right in some way, but they didn't get the full picture. They didn't understand the, the overarching truth. Pardon the pun, but they were blinded by their own bias, by their own bias of experience. In our scripture this morning, the Pharisees are kind of like these blind men. The Pharisees were the religious leaders at the time. And they either caught a woman in adultery or someone else caught a woman in adultery and brought them to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees decided that they were going to bring this woman in front of Jesus. And they told him what happened. And they said, in the law of Moses, in the law that we cling to, in this, we're told to stone such women. So what do you say we do, Jesus? I mean, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. So if he came to fulfill the law... Why wouldn't he say, yeah, it's in the law, we should do it. But there's the unmistakable fact that the story really wasn't about them trying to hold the law. There's the unmistakable fact that it was really just about them trying to catch Jesus slipping. Trying to catch something that they could grab onto that they could get Jesus in trouble. In the passages before this, we read that these conflict, this conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees is starting to boil and boil and it's coming to the point where Pharisees think something has to be done. They try to get him arrested and the guards said, no, we have no basis to arrest him. So they were likely embarrassed. They didn't have the power that they thought they did. So they needed to catch him. They needed to trick him. And the reason they felt like this was because Jesus was teaching a different way than what they held to. Jesus was teaching this way of grace, this way of forgiveness, this way that was so awesomely illustrated in the story that we read. He's teaching this. He's in these temples. And it disrupts the Pharisees' way. It disrupts their understanding, their way of doing faith. Essentially, it disrupts their trunk that they were clinging to. 
In doing this, the Pharisees completely missed the point. They didn't get the full truth. They didn't get the whole truth, the whole elephant, if you want to use that. Because the law wasn't the problem. Just like in our story, the trunk wasn't the problem. Or the side of the elephant wasn't the problem. But when these Pharisees used the law, which isn't bad in itself, when they distorted it and used it as a weapon, that's when it turned evil. And when we cling so hard to the way we do things, to our truth, even if it's a truth that is meaningful for us, we miss the beauty of the whole thing. The part that's clear to me is that in clinging to their trunk and saying their way is the only way for understanding faith and treating other people, the Pharisees showed their bias. By that I mean, in this law that the Pharisees quoted at Jesus, the law actually says that the man and the woman are to be stoned. Yeah, we don't read anything about the man. Only the woman is brought forward. It also says that you're supposed to have witnesses there. Yeah, we don't read anything about witnesses actually being there. So why is it just the woman? I would argue that she was an easy target. The women were the ones who were out in this society. They were less than. They were not equal. So they were easy to use as a pawn to get what they wanted. To get so their way wouldn't be disrupted. So their understanding did not have to be challenged. In the same way, when we stick to our way as the only way, we're likely hurting someone else in the process. And we, there's likely this underlying feeling that someone is threatening what we consider ours, when in reality it's not. So in a non-church setting, this could mean a co-worker that we may or may not like at all brings an idea forward that's different, that's new, that might be innovative, and we shut it down immediately before we even consider it. In the end, it may not have been a good idea, but when we shut it down beforehand because it's not our norm, it's not our way, we're not valuing that person for who they are. A homeless man walks into our community, and whether we say it out loud or not, we make him more or less not feel welcome. Whether overtly or covertly, they know that they aren't welcome. We might use the excuse, oh, he smells bad, it would disrupt things, but in reality, it's just not our way or our norm. It would challenge us, it would make us grow. And that's hard work. Or a teenager comes out in our community as gay or bi or trans or anything along the spectrum, and we immediately condemn them, not welcoming them into our space. I'm not saying you have to believe a certain way with that, but what I'm saying is when we treat others poorly, when we devalue someone's dignity, when we don't welcome somebody, because of our beliefs, because of our way, we're always in the wrong. That, that is when we are acting like the Pharisees. When we 
we place our way and our beliefs on a pedestal over people, our priorities are all kinds of mixed up. We miss the point by clinging to our trunk or our way. This parable or proverb of the blind men was written in the first century BCE, like I said, and it's probably been told over a million different times with a million different variations and used for a ton of illustrations to make different points. And there's some endings, as I was looking it up, that say that the blind men never gave up their own view. They sit there and clung to what was their truth because they experienced it and that's how it was, period. They never saw the bigger picture. And they ended up not being friends anymore. There's also Indians that say that the blind men decided that they could learn from one another. That they could take other people's perspectives and understandings at least into consideration. They could welcome them in and figure out this greater truth together doing their best to let go of their biases. Though they realized their way may not have been wrong, it was not full, it was incomplete. But they were able to work together to find that. I think I like that ending of the story much better. It's very cliche to say, so forgive me, but It's true for our text today. That way, that greater truth in our story, that is the way of Jesus. It's the value and the dignity of all people. That is demonstrated by his scolding of sorts to the Pharisees and saying, no, this woman matters. And she matters deeply. And you are using your law, your way, to demonize her. We'll never really know why this passage was put into John. We'll never know why someone thought it was just of the utmost importance that it has to be in it somewhere. But because of that, we're challenged in some way to be transformed by it. We're challenged to not allow our way, our understandings, our trunks that we cling to We're not, we're challenged to not allow that to be the only way, or maybe even the correct way. Instead, we're to offer, we're to usher in this kingdom that Jesus came to bring, that he lived out. That way is the way of peace, the way of grace that was illustrated in this passage, the way of forgiveness. Most of all, it's the way of value and dignity for all people, especially above our way. That's the way of Jesus. It's a tough way. It's a way that we must be challenged. It's a way that we must question our own selves. It's a way that we must partner with other people and hear stories. But it's a way that is right and good. And I think that's a good challenge for us. Let's pray.